Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast, brought to you in partnership with Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. We're glad you're here with us today. Good to see you, Doug. Good to see you too, JR. We are on the backside of Thanksgiving and already into Advent. Can you believe it? I actually cannot believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Advent began officially yesterday. Yes, it did. Now, Doug, as far as Advent goes, is that something that growing up you practiced Advent, you celebrated Advent within a local church community? I know we do that now in our church, but is that part of your upbringing? Not at all. I grew up where... uh, there was no such thing as Advent. It was just Christmas. We that that was about it. There, um, yeah. We, we grew up in 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 not not very uh, traditional traditional churches, and so it wasn't a season that we observed. But uh, I want to say it was probably close to twelve years ago that I was introduced to Advent through Advent Conspiracy. Oh uh, yeah. Longer than that, but I remember just like, what is this Advent that they speak of? And man, the rabbit hole has just gone very, very deep. (laughs) It's it 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 is one of. uh, I mean, I I love the church calendar, but this is for me the this has a soft spot in my heart. Like I Advent is just such a beautiful a beautiful time. And I don't know about you, but um, you know, our, our church is a, we, we've been a set up tear down church since we've been around. Um, we've been, and we're a house church model slash gathering model, kind of a, a hybrid model, so to speak. But I've had the most, I, I can tell you the last nine advents by some of the most raw, honest, and difficult conversations that I've had standing next to our storage bin just uh, after gatherings and just hearing people talk about what God is doing in their life or the difficult season that's happening. So yeah, Advent just has this beautiful space of honesty for me that I just, yeah, man, I'm like super pumped. And this, this year feels a little bit, a little bit more honest and raw than years past. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's that line in that Christmas hymn, Oh, Holy Night. And I, uh, this line always grabs me by the throat and refuses to let go. It says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And I don't know if our world has ever felt more weary in my lifetime than this year. And so just wondering if the, the freshness, the newness, the meaningfulness, the weightiness of Advent will really hit us in a very healthy way this year of the coming of Jesus, the thrill of hope, a weary world world rejoices. And just knowing like from the Old Testament to the New Testament, right in our Bibles, we have one blank page that just says New Testament on it, but that represents 400 years, right? Where, Where God's people said, where are you, God? You have been silent. Why have you left us? We're yearning, we're groaning, rescue us, save us, help us, speak to us. And for us, it's been a hard 10 months. But to think, my goodness, like 400 years of silence. I talk about a weary world. And so anyway, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really trying to make some of these connections to Advent this year. And, and by the way, I know we, we call it Christmas season and all of our ad, all of our Anglican friends will correct us. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's not Christmas yet. Not Christmas yet. It's Advent. That was a terrible accent. I don't know where I, I came up need, with that. You should so, pull that off. Be your but, Anglican uh, 
<laughs> and, and I, you know, I, I coach a lot of Anglican pastors and priests, yeah. and I'm so grateful for them. So in no way am I am I sliding them. But th- th- there's some truth to that. Like this is a season of Advent, which is a season of preparation. Where, as I like to say every year, Advent is a season where Christians stand on their tiptoes. It's a season of anticipation and expectation, right? This this practice we engage in that's like it's guardrails and training wheels to help us. It guardrails to keep us out from Christian consumerism and training wheels to teach us that while Christ has come in the past, we're also, it's like a dress rehearsal as we prepare for the coming of Christ again. And so I think those guardrails and training wheels can really help us here, especially as the world needs a thrill of hope because a weary world rejoices. Um, So Advent's crucial. And it almost feels like Advent in the past for many has been really resonates with the hallelujah choir, (laughs) Um, you know, the angels rejoicing. Advent really resonates with that. I feel like this year Advent resonates with the, with the band of scared shepherds uh, running uh, (laughs) to tell of the good news where it just feels a little bit more, yeah, just raw and, and different. Um, But, you know, Advent's also a different time. Because it is the time when, you know, a lot of the world is looking towards joy and happiness and peace on earth and all these things. And a lot of it's wrapped up into consumerism and things like that. But even more interpersonally, relationally, Advent is a really strong and difficult season for many uh, because it is the season when we... Some people have to go home for the holidays, and that represents a lot of difficult conversations. It represents a lot of pain, uh, and it represents kind of learning what it is to to be together in that season. And so, yeah, I mean, I both you both you and I have mentioned in the past how the holiday seasons can be really difficult for people. Yeah, they can be difficult. I mean, we think about the four elements of Advent, you know, the four Sundays of Advent, peace, hope, joy, and love. I don't think I have those in order, but right now, but peace, we need peace. I think we could easily become cynical. Why are we not feeling peace? You know, hope, what hope is there in the midst of a terrible year like 2020? Joy, well, I'm not feeling any joy, right? And we mix up health, uh, happiness, and and joy. And then love, like not a lot of love going on in our world right now. A lot of division, a lot of strife. And so there's just, yeah, there's just this r- relational tension that exists. And so how do we navigate relational tension in these difficult times? And we have strong opinions and strong convictions and strong beliefs. And what do we do with the quote unquote, the other, the person who's just not at all on the same page as me? How in the world do I navigate that space of division or difference with someone who's other than me? Yeah. And so we, we, we're going to do something a little different today. Um, one of the things as, as we were kind of dreaming about this particular episode, um, we remembered back to a video that JR has made for his book, The Sacred Overlap on convicted civility. And so I can't think of a, t- of a more important time for us to be reminded and even to be trained and even to have some opportunities to think through what does it look like to be people that live in convicted civility? And so we're going to do something a little different. You're going to hear the audio version. We'll put a link to the video in our show notes if you are a visual person, but we just want you to listen. And then we're going to come back on the flip side of this and just talk about some things that we think are really important in this season where A, you have the holidays that are upon us and you're going to be with people and B, you have the tension of the pandemic and uh, post-election world uh, you know, that we are living in now. And how do we 
how do we find this middle space where we can be present with others, love others, and be convicted and civil at the same time? Chances are good that at this very moment, one of your friends is yelling at their political enemies on Facebook. And maybe the person they're yelling at is you. Or maybe you're the one doing the yelling. Division, polarization, and politicking seem to be an Olympic sport in America these days. It seems that it is becoming more and more intense with each passing month. E pluribus unum, the motto of America, out of many, one. But it seems that we are quickly becoming a country with too much pluribus and very little unum. I live in the greater Philadelphia area, the city of soft pretzels, cheesesteaks, the Liberty Bell, and the Eagles. People here are loyal, passionate, and proud. But you may have heard that Philadelphia is not known for its politeness. <laughs> the people here are seen as direct, gruff, and at times even downright rude, especially when the Eagles lose. Many people here will tell you that what they're thinking, whether you want to hear it or not. It may hurt to hear the truth, but there's no doubt you'll receive it anyway. When I visit the Deep South, I'm often greeted with full-on hugs of warm hospitality where the kindness is palpable. But I've since realized, despite the kindness and near endless bless your hearts, they aren't always telling me the truth, at least not fully as I'd like. Afraid to offend or upset the apple cart, these Southern folks at times choose to lie politely. <laughs> and while my passionate neighbors here in Philly major in truth and minor in kindness, my warm-hearted friends in the South often major in kindness and minor in truth-telling. Civility is a topic we don't spend much time pondering or discussing, but we should. Religion scholar Martin Marty stated, One of the real problems in modern life is that people who are good at being civil lack strong convictions, and people who have strong convictions lack civility. To put a spin on Marty's assertion here, some people major in conviction and minor in civility, while others major in civility and minor in conviction. Yes, you might think, but what does double majoring actually look like? First, we must live by our convictions. We stand for truth, even when we stand alone. We must be people of conviction, not swayed by popular opinion. The author of Hebrews wrote, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. To be clear, unity is not the same as uniformity. We can have our differences while also honoring the very heart of God and the Imago Dei, the image of God that's lovingly stamped on the hearts of all women and men. Every election year, I dig up the best voting advice that I've ever come across, and I read it as a reminder of what is before me. It says this, I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election and advised them, one, to vote without fee or reward for the person they judged most worthy. Two, to speak no evil of the person they voted against, and three, to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. This is sage and timely advice, but what amazes me is that this was not written by a wise American politician or a popular author or blogger. It was penned by Methodist church founder John Wesley almost 250 years ago. Yes, go to the polls. Vote with all the wisdom and conviction that you possibly possess. But we should never look to our candidates as saviors or models of political morality. 
Politicians are vehicles of potential change, but they are not rescuers. Sure, they can help, but they cannot ultimately fix the sin-marred world that we live in. Michael Ware said, The crisis for Christians is not that we are politically homeless. The crisis is that we ever thought we could make our home in politics at all. Our home is with him who has made his home in us. And our hope is with the kingdom that is right at hand. If we find ourselves in Babylon, let's make sure we don't become Babylonians. As Christians, we pledge allegiance first not to a political party or a politician, but to a kingdom led by a king. And because of this, we don't need to be afraid. Yes, there are important issues at hand. War, poverty, immigration, abortion, human trafficking, taxes, drugs, racism, sexism, and other complex social, economic, and political issues that require attention, concern, and care. But we do not have to be afraid. The command is one of the most repeated in Scripture, do not fear. We live in a culture that preys on people's fears. The political machine is designed to thrive on making people angry, scared, or both. And when we are fearful and we feel unsafe, we become unkind. But the call of Jesus is this, do not be afraid. As Pastor Tony Evans said, Jesus did not come to take sides. He came to take over. But ultimately, when we talk about convicted civility, our sacred call is to be more than civil. To describe God as simply being nice or remaining civil leaves us with a shallow, inaccurate, and anemic view of the Creator. God is a God marked by category-defying love. Jesus' aim was never to be tolerant. His approach was remarkably compassionate. Can you imagine John 3.16 beginning with the words, For God so tolerated the world that He gave His one and only Son? Niceness and love are two different things. As people living in the sacred overlap, we can live by this principle. When we disagree, don't disengage. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. And the second is that to love someone means you agree with everything that they believe or do. We don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. As Christians, we can't succumb to these two lies. We must live in the sacred overlap of being convicted and civil. But more than that, we must be compassionately loving like the God of the universe loves us. So, JR, I really appreciated the work that you did on that chapter, but especially the work you did on that video. Um, I think there's so many things for us to unpack as it comes to what it looks like to live in this convicted civility in the season in which we're in. And so, just a question that I had for you, you know, first of all, I'm amazed that John Wesley wrote that or said that all those years ago. Like, amazing. It's unbelievable, but could you unpack that a bit more and like, what does that practically look like for us today? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. I, I, I struggle with this. I wrestle with this. I think one of the questions that has been on the forefront of my mind for the last several years is why is it that the more right I think I am, the less kind I think I have to be, right? When I'm just adamant that I'm right, 
why do I feel like I can treat other people? Like, why does that give me permission to treat someone like trash? And uh, so I, I think, you know, a couple of things I think have been really helpful for me is obviously seeing how Jesus treated people who were different from him. Um, there were times he spoke up uh, and spoke out against them, right? But what's interesting is his harshest words were not for sinners, but for were for the religious elite that didn't think they were sinners. <laughs> and I think that's a really important distinction. People are like, well, Jesus got angry. Yes. Who did he get angry? Who did he get angry at? The truth is, he got angry at people like you and me, Doug. Like pastors and people have gone to get their degrees. And, you know, I mean, that's that's hard. It's easy for us to say those Pharisees, when we're actually much more closer to the Pharisees than other people that Jesus interacts with. And so I think that's really important. Um, you know, Richard Mao talks about that civility is public politeness. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to be said about that. We've really missed out on that in terms of how do we be polite? <laughs> and uh, so I just think, I, I think one of the greatest compliments people can say to us is you and I disagree. You and I couldn't disagree more on this particular issue. Yet I know deep down that you love me and that you respect me no matter what. And I just don't think there are many spaces in life right now where that's the case. And so, again, we need tons of wisdom when it comes to this. But, you know, I, it, we just polarization leads to mobilization. It's the oldest trick in Washington's book, right? It, when it comes to politics, you want to mobilize people. You want to make a difference. You want to get people, yeah, let's go do this. You, you polarize people. Polarization leads to mobilization. And so how do we be the kinds of people to realize that Jesus isn't one that's trying to divide, you know, that takes sides, uh, especially in things like politics right now, right? I mean, one of the things I love that Tony Evans said, you know, Jesus didn't come to take sides, Jesus came to take over. And I just, I just love that line. Yeah. I love that line. And um, so it's, it's not easy. So how do we, anyway, your question, how do we do that practically? I think it's, we've got to cultivate friendships with people who are different from us. Mm-hmm. Number two, I think our news sources need to be things that we disagree with from time to time, rather than just an echo chamber of what we already believe. Mm-hmm. I think we need those of our, you know, where we get our news sources. But I, I mean, for example, I, and I'm not endorsing them entirely and all that they do, but there is something I subscribe to called allsides.com. Allsides.com gives you the main stories of the day from all sides, far left, far right, left, right, and center, those five categories. That's really important for me to read my news that way. So that's a practical way that I cultivate convicted civility because I think, well, I'm right here on this issue, but you know what? I read that article. They make a really good point. So before I demonize them, boy, huh, I've got to think about that some more. And I think that's really, really important. Um, And there's another thing I subscribe to called the flip side, where every day it gives me an email Monday through Friday into my inbox about the the issue of the day, the yesterday's news that's kind of the hot button issue. And then they list people on the left and people on the right and how they responded to it. And I think that's really helpful, even though we're sort of, at least at the time of this recording, you know, sort of post-election, you know, there's still a lot of things up in the air, a lot of uncertainty. Like this is a season for us. We've just lost kindness. And I just really would love for us, the fruit of the spirit is kindness. Imagine if the evidence that the spirit was actively at work in our lives were people that said, I disagree with you Christians, but I'll tell you, you have been so kind. Mm. And so those are some ways I think that we can really be thinking through this, cultivate friendships with people who are different from us, 
really see is kindness coming through and even things like being diverse in our news sources. I think that's really, really important in this season. What about you, Doug? Yeah, I subscribe to a little news station called the Babylon Bee. And so that- <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to work Dude, its way I, hope, I was hoping you were going to be like this, this great, this great place to get a news called the Babylon Bee. Um, yeah, well, I, I think, listen, again, cultivating friendships with people who are different than you. And I, I there's something, and this is something that a friend of mine, Wendy, said a bunch of years ago. She said, I'd rather be righteous than right. Yeah. And I feel like there's something in that there's there's a posture in that that I just find to be so attractive and important in this season. And and mm. again, but you know, you mentioned it and I love how you talk about Philly versus the South and <laughs> um I'd love to have a discussion on who does actually have the best cheesesteak in Philly, but that's for another <laughs> time. But I think that there is something really important to say how like I don't know if I've seen uh, very many visions of what it looks like to be both like honest and honoring or both civil and convicted at the same yeah. time. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's sad. I think that's very sad for our, for our, for our culture, even thinking for us pastors, you know, when have you seen that? Well, especially not in the Academy because we can like slam somebody and then have them slam back. And I think it's just really, it's a challenge. It is a challenge, but there is something really important that I think we can, we can capture when we actually learn to stop and listen. I I got an email, um, from a, from a very close friend right after the election that basically just, uh, in the, in the after, in, in the days after what, what my friend recognized was that they spent a lot of time, uh, watching their joy being stolen by listening to one side that mm. there was a demonization process that took place as they listened to one side and not the other. And it was just as beauty, you know, and, and my friend talked about how they have not had conversations with close dear friends in the last few years in the months leading up to the election because he looked at them as enemies and how mm. uh, after the election there was a repentance and a time to come back and just to ask for forgiveness and to move forward into how do we restore this relationship or these relationships mm. and so I think too like part of that is if you have been polarized or on one side or you found yourself on one side or the other just being quick to say I'm I'm being quick and honest to say, I'm, I'm sorry, will you forgive me for that? If that has yeah. hurt. So I think even in that, to have that posture of saying, man, I don't have this right. And I may have hurt you. And w- would you forgive me for that? Uh, I, th- I think, I think that that makes people stop and wonder what is actually happening like what's really going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think of Micah six, eight, right? Like do justly love mercy, walk humbly with your God, right? That's convicted civility, right? If we do justly, we have convictions, right? And we can't be merciful until we first love mercy, right? And then the humility that has to happen when we walk, not just walk with our God, but walk humbly with our God. One of the things, Doug, you know that I do is when I work and train different teams of people, uh, whether it's in the business world or whether it's churches or denominations or schools, one of the trainings that I do is something on the importance of having crucial conversations and how do we do that well. And some of those practical things that have been really helpful. First of all, we tell stories all the time. We're really good storytellers, especially when we're angry or afraid. Hmm. And so we make up things. Oh, I bet they voted that way because, oh, I bet they did that because they're, 
And then once we find the real story that we go, oh, that's not that at, at all. We're just really good fiction writers. We could win Pulitzer Prize uh, prizes <laughs> based on the the stories that we tell ourselves when we're afraid or when we're angry. And I think if we can just move from condemnation or jumping to, oh, I bet I know why they did that, to curiosity. And even just little things like opening sentences in conversation with like, um, help me understand, dot, dot, dot. Or I'm curious about dot, dot, dot. Or am I, correct me if I'm wrong, am I understanding that uh, you, this and what, how did, how do you, how is it that that uh, is how you landed on that? You know, tell, tell me how you arrived at that conclusion. It's so good if we can move from condemnation to curiosity. I think mm. that's so important. Even little things like our tone, our body language, our eye contact, not using sarcasm. But I, I think that's the big one, moving from condemnation to curiosity. Mm-hmm. Just help me understand, or I'm curious about, or help me help me grasp why you're you landed at that place right here. Um, and I think those that simple thing alone of just being more curious mm-hmm. can be incredibly helpful. There have been times where in my my spirit I've judged people, and then I've just I've mm-hmm. decided externally to take that like help me understand. Then when they explain it, I go, oh, that makes total sense. If that was my perspective, if that would happen to me, if that was my story, if that was my experience, mm. I might think that too. And so I think that's really important uh, of just the good old fashioned, like walking in someone else's shoes for a while and helping them from their perspective. That's empathy, right? That's emotional intelligence of being able to see it from someone else's perspective. So um yeah, this idea of convicted civility, even though I talk about it, even though I write about it, I'm far from perfect on this. And all the time I'm having to do what, what you just said, the idea of repentance. And that's why I, I like to use that preface phrase a lot of like, I might be wrong here yeah. or correct me if I'm wrong, but it's this. And I always try to say back to them what I'm hearing them say. I just want to make sure I'm listening well and, and that I'm hearing you. Is this what you said? If not, please correct me. Because there are times I can assume they're saying one thing and then judge them and they go, dude, yeah, that, that's not at all what I'm saying. Uh, and they would say, I'd be, I'd be against that too, if that's what I was saying, but that's not at all what I'm saying. Oh, so some of it's just learning to be a better listener. Yeah. And I, I think that's, uh, I know this is, I mean, we've had these conversations for quite a few years, JR. I think those two phrases are so helpful, you know, help me understand. And mm-hmm. is this what I'm hearing you say? I think if, if as pastors, if we can learn to, to ha- enter into those conversations that may be a little more charged with that posture, w- armed with those two questions or have those two questions in the tool belt, I feel like that really helps us to honor the other person, to listen well, and also to make sure that we have clarity. Um, But yeah, I, this is, I, again, I think with, with the climate in which we're in, this is one of the most important, important conversations that I think we can be having as pastors just, and even finding more opportunities to be equipped in this. Yeah. And one last thing before we end here, one of the things that was really helpful for me several years ago at our Ecclesia National Gathering, Dallas Willard was our speaker. And I remember being at a table with some people in the corner uh, there at the cafeteria in Washington, D.C., where we were meeting. And as we were meeting, I remember somebody brought up like, what do you do when people disagree with you, Dallas? How do you handle that as a pastor? And I'll never Mm -hmm. forget his response. He said, never defend yourself only explain yourself. And then he said, don't never react, only respond. 
And there are times where in the midst of disagreement and, and even whether it's about a particular issue or a conviction or it's an attack on me personally, I've found myself sitting there at the table. I can still picture Dallas like whispering to me in my head, uh, don't react here. Respond, don't react. Always explain yourself, but never defend yourself. And that's helped me. Um, it's kept me out of a lot of trouble, a lot mm. of trouble in this season. So good old Dallas Willard, St. Dallas with another one of his wisdom bombs. So. <laughs> well, Jerry, why don't you send us out today, man? Yeah. Well, listeners, we're so glad you were able to be with us today. We want to bless you as you go in this Advent season. And as you go in this Advent season, would you remember that we can live with both conviction and civility. But more than that, be more than civil. Be compassionate. Be radically compassionate like the God of the universe. Show radical compassion for us. Go above and beyond. Love your enemies. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. May you do that today. May you walk with that balance of both conviction and with compassion on your lips. God bless and bless God.